Are you tired of being sheep? Well, so is he. Get a friend, get informed, and get involved. It's We Are Not Cattle Radio. Good evening and welcome to We Are Not Cattle Radio. I am your host, Jake Counts, navigating you through this crazy world that we live in. It is the 11th day of February 2014 and I will be semi-live here for the next hour. Um, the reason I will be semi-live has to do with inclement weather or whatever you want to call it. Basically, when um, snow or ice threatens the entire southeast, Everybody goes into panic mode and they start fear-mongering and saying that everything's going to basically collapse and all this stuff. But there's actually a real threat tonight of me losing power and or internet connectivity. So I thought, what better way to go ahead and pre-record my show in order to get it out to the public so they can enjoy my one hour of truth a week which would actually be two one-hour segments of truth, so two hours total. And if you are listening in on FPRN Radio, thank you so much for listening in on FPRN. Check me out as I run my show live, and you can find that through the wearenotcattle.net website, or you can just find me on Blog Talk Radio, or if you would like, you can download my stuff on iTunes and give me some likes and some good ratings. So thank you very much. Now, In the show tonight, I'm going to be spending some time with Josh Wiley of the Journalistic Revolution. I will also be spending some time with Lee Camp of LeeCamp.net. And the full interview that you will hear in full uh, at the end of this, um, the last half of the hour, excuse me, will be up on YouTube probably as we speak. And um, it is actually a great, exciting moment for myself now that I have software where I can actually record a video podcast, so I will be recording video interviews moving forward. I am actually working on getting Tom Campbell, the um, the physicist of the My Big Toe Theory, and it should be nailed down here in a couple of days, and I should have him on someday next week. So be looking for that interview up on the We Are Not Cattle TV YouTube channel. Um, be sure to subscribe to me on YouTube. I don't really care about the monetary compensation. I just like to see that I get views, and it's kind of fun to see people spreading the message around that we can all benefit from sharing knowledge with one another. Now, what I would like to get into tonight is Josh and I will probably spend a lot of time talking about Mark Passio's natural law or natural law lecture because it's very important for you to understand these simple principles. And as we have talked about utilizing the trivium. We need to understand the grammar that we're going for here. Now, everybody likes to use the term freedom. Everybody likes to use the term liberty. Everybody likes to use the term slave. But what do these terms really mean? So we're going to get into a little bit of that. But first, I'm going to take an excerpt from a book that Mark Passio recommended in his lecture series that I just began to read earlier this afternoon. It's very fascinating. And I'm actually going to read you the very first paragraph of this book, and it is astonishing. And I will be adding this to the We Are Not Cattle show notes at the very end, and also to the books um, that may interest you underneath the, um, the tab for things you should know. And it is entitled Chapter Number One, 
the title of the chapter is Freedom. And it says, The definition of freedom is the infinite value of the human being. The definition of evil is the destruction of freedom. Everything that is evil teaches people that they have limited value. Truth is simple. All people recognize truth because all people are intelligent beings. It is the nature of evil to create artificial, complex ideas. It does this to hide or obfuscate the freedom it destroys. If you remove the complexities and the fears from your life, you will find a path and beautiful truth. Excuse me, you will find a plain and beautiful truth. This truth is the nature of your worth. To understand freedom is to understand the value of a person. Everything that evil wants is to disguise and destroy your value. All authority is created by evil men to disguise your worth. To understand your own worth is to understand the nature of liberty. And that's only the first page, people. I mean, come on. If that doesn't get you fired up to go read something, it's only 90-something pages. I mean, come on. If that doesn't get you fired up to go read something, then I don't know what will. So I'm going to get my friend Josh Wiley on the horn here, and we're going to have a dialogue really quickly about the Mark Passio. And we're also going to talk a little bit about uh, Barack Obama and his, um, his saying that he can do whatever he wants. And I guess it all comes back to freedom and how you want to perceive your reality. And reality and truth, remember, are not mutually exclusive. Truth is always there. Truth is what is happening now. Truth is current. It is not past. It is not future. It is current. And your perception does not determine reality, as Mark Passio so eloquently puts in his um, in his lecture series. But your perception is just that. It is your perceived reality. It is not reality because reality is truth. So that's the, I guess, the grammar lesson for right now. So let me pull up Josh Wiley here from the Journalistic Revolution, and we'll have a quick chat. And um, as I mentioned, um, stay tuned for the Tom Campbell interview that should be coming up in the next um, probably next week sometime so look for an announcement on Thursday I should have some time slots nailed down also if I don't have a podcast uploaded excuse me if I cannot run a live podcast on Thursday I will upload one um, sometime throughout the day either Wednesday or Thursday for you guys Um, so stay tuned for that so anyway um, let me pull up Mr. Josh Wiley and we'll get this show cracking Okay, so with us on the line is Josh Wiley of the Journalistic Revolution. Josh, as always, thank you for joining us, man. Thanks so much for having me, Jake. Okay, so as I was telling the audience before, I wanted to get into the the Mark Passio speech on natural law. Now we're gonna have to take this as a as a thirty thousand foot, you know, range, I guess, in order to hit the a lot of time that we have. So Briefly, I read to the audience before The End of All Evil, the first page of that book. What is your take on what that really encapsulates 
in just such a short few paragraphs? Well, uh, as that pertains to the natural law lecture specifically or in general? In general, and then we can tie it into the natural law um, lecture and, and some of the high points that he hits um, that I think people should go and do their own research on or at least um, venture down this road a little bit further to really understand what it means to be sovereign, and we can define that term later. Well, you know, the uh, the quote itself is, you know, really illuminating to the the really the struggle that we find ourselves in in this moment in time. But it's truly an eternal struggle in that we have uh, a, a group of people, uh, you know, who take many different shapes and forms over time that seek to conceal evil deeds or the amalgamation of power uh, from, you know, the populace of any given area through these kind of complex, uh, sophisticated systems and rhetoric uh, so as to, you know, facilitate that being done in the shadows. Right. So let's define this because this will actually be a good way for us to segue into the, the entirety of what natural law is all about. And that is, it is about having a, a sovereign or about the, the individual being sovereign, much like he talks about here in this little piece. What is the definition, um, if we're going to do the grammar, logic, and rhetoric of it, what is the working definition currently of sovereign? Or what, what should our definition of sovereign be? Well, for the sake of this conversation, I would just say it's uh, an individual anarchist in the sense that it is a man who is ruled only by himself. And anarchy, just so we're clear, anarchy would mean not lack of rules. It means lack of rulers, correct? Yes, La lack of external rulers, external rulers I would say. Correct. So in Mark Passio's lecture series, he talks about having, what is what is his terminology called, the the in he's the internal monarch i guess is what the way he puts it yeah which i think is an excellent way to put it because not as as mark kind of goes on throughout the series he notes that you know an an unrestrained mind or an anarchic mind uh is not a healthy mind by any means it's a mind needs rules and operating procedures uh you know like the knowledge of gravity to survive, uh, and even you know the, the 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 manner in which we associate with people uh, has to be on an amicable nature as a mechanism for survival. But you know this kind of external anarchy, uh, you know, again, simply means no rulers. Uh, and I guess that would should be our working definition of sovereign for the evening. Okay, great. So now that we've we've understood what a sovereign is, we've understood the the working definition of an anarchist and and what we believe that the individual should be. So let's now dive into the crux of the matter and how all these things have happened in our modern society. And it is through the occult. And occult, um, just so we're clear, occult doesn't mean people in robes that get around and do seances. It actually just means hidden. And this information has been hidden to suppress the public's conscious. And that's why... I talk about consciousness a lot because in order for you to solve these challenges that we face, and this is what Lee Camp and I discussed, and you'll hear that in the, uh, in the interview um, later on, and that is we have to at least admit to ourselves that we face challenges, number one. 
Once we can admit that we do face challenges, we can then address the challenges and then find solutions and then implement the solutions. So I think that what we're really looking at here is sort of a scientific method, but on a grand scale, and we run into the challenge that human beings by nature want things to be easy, and it doesn't get any easier than living in the United States under empire. Oh, absolutely. And I think that that's really one of the more, uh, I, I don't know how I would describe it, maybe uh, spiritual aspects of the natural law presentation. Uh, I, I don't know if that's necessarily the right word to use under these circumstances. But when we talk about natural law in the in a realm that is not visible, let's just sure, say that. Sure, I was going to say that, uh, would be a good, that would be a good idea is just to define that when we say spiritual, we just mean that a realm that is not physical. You can still feel spirit. You can still feel emotions. I guess you would call it the emotional realm because we don't really physically touch emotions. Yeah, absolutely. So when, when Mark Passio talks about the real natural law, as juxtaposed to some of the memes that have been promoted uh, throughout the alternative media, uh, like, uh, oh, who wrote that book, uh, The Secret? Oh, yeah. Uh, you which know, is, the power which is, of intention. Right, but it's the power of intention, and then, it's, and, and then it stops, and it says, well, if you just believe it's going to happen, and if you just will for it to happen, then it'll just happen. So you exactly. Can, you can, is, so you can lay in bed and just wish that you'll win the lottery tomorrow, but what what do you miss is the actual action step, and that's what Mark gets into. But I didn't mean to cut you off, man. Just go ahead. Oh, no, don't sweat it. That's, uh, I mean, it's an excellent point, and it's totally true. And it's, it's an, it's a, it's, as Mark Passio also talks about later on in this lecture, it's a form of brain imbalance. Uh, it it's manifests itself a lot today in the form of the New Age movement, uh, you know, where people simply believe that, you know, they just have to meditate or pray uh, long enough and some external savior will come and, again, do the hard work for them. Uh, but to stop halfway uh, between, uh, you know, garnering knowledge and then acting upon that knowledge uh, is a grave injustice not only to yourself but to the society around you. And natural law in terms of, you know, the spiritual realm, again, what we cannot see, uh, simply states that, you know, as as these, as this, our thoughts are taken into uh, a standpoint of action, after some given amount of time, there will be a result for that action, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and it, hopefully it will it will be good and it should be good if it, again depending on what kind of action you're projecting out into the world. But it's a process, and you can't you know you can't st skip any steps of it. Much like the trivium, you know, it's thought, emotion, action. Right, and and it's really it's really fascinating that we get it we get into talking about this because you know as an as an activist and people that really do fight for truth and and really do i guess dig a little bit deeper and i i guess you would consider us a little bit um what is it uh, esoteric would that be yeah. the the proper term cuz exoteric is something completely different and yeah. anyway so just wanted to make sure i got my grammar correct but even though that we are venturing down roads that would seem to be i guess tinfoil hat wearers to to most of the majority of the population it really comes down to the point of, well, how much have you looked into this or how much have you studied this and how much have you given thought to this? Because that's all that we can do to really create our reality is to study, learn, and then apply what we have learned and studied and then manifest the reality that we can create through our thoughts and actions and emotions like you were saying. 
So it doesn't. It sounds like hippy dippy, you know what? But it really isn't. If you understand the laws of nature and the laws of, you know, even just look at physics, there is an equal and opposite reaction to whatever action takes place. So if you put some bad karma out in the world, or whatever you want to call it, you know, karma is actually a pretty decent term to use. It's something that even even Western uh, ideology people can understand. Is that if you put bad motions and systems and emotions in in play in the universe, they're going to come back and they're going to bite you. And it's not going to be an instant gratification thing. There is going to be some delay because the universe is pretty damn big and it's working pretty damn hard as we're you know putting all of these different data points in. It's crunching all the numbers. And then by the time you get your feedback, it might be five minutes, it might be ten, it might be a year, it might be ten years, which is actually kind of funny that I get to talk to Tom Campbell about all this stuff. And I'm going to really try to rack his brain about you know, if he understands the time system delay and, and how it works, and I'm sure that he does understand that anything that we put into this physical reality, anything that we put out into the universe in this physical reality is in the universe, it's, it's present, and there's going to be a repercussion, whether it be good, bad, or indifferent. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, those are my a- absolutely. And you know, I haven't investigated uh, the what was the gentleman's name, Tom Campbell. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I haven't investigated his work. You know, you just kind of made uh, made him aware to me and his big toe theory. But it certainly seems to uh, to to coincide with a lot of the principles of natural law uh, as it pertains to again that more spiritual realm. And I'm I'm really interested simply because you know we, we come across every now and then. Uh, these uh, quantifiable scientific studies on some of these things that that are quite frankly uh, intangible as as modern science would study them today. You know, like mm-hmm. uh, uh, the notion of mirror neurons and the ability of of the brain to pick up emotional subtle emotional cues from long distances away, or or, or uh, the uh, what was the Japanese scientist that gentleman's name who uh, did a series of studies on projecting emotions towards freezing water crystals. And observing the results, which uh, certainly showed that that there should or that there was some kind of discernible, uh, uh, you know, result manifesting in the way these crystals froze from being very disjointed and ugly to to beautiful and crystalline. Hmm. I haven't seen that, but I mean, it even yields to the to the hundredth monkey syndrome, where you have, you know, monkeys from a completely different um, completely different island that would actually pick up. A, a skill that monkeys learned on, a, on another island, and once it hit a certain amount, a critical mass, if you will, then the connection and the and the and the learned ability or the learned skill translated to to a completely different species that has never even seen nor the equipment nor has even performed that skill. They just learned it. So, I guess it's kind of an avatarish sense in that we're all connected. But let's you know no, let's not be you know tree huggers about it. Let's try to really get down to the and I don't mean anything bad to people that really love the environment. I'm sorry, Robert Wasman, but um, <laughs> it really it really does point to something that we can actually physically calculate and physically quantify. But we have to get people to to shift behavior and shift emotion because in I guess the hippies did have it right when they were saying that we know we need peace, love, and and happiness because. In in all lessons, even Adam Kokesh said it himself. He said, "You can choose to be happy," and I think that what he's realizing is that if you choose to be happy, if you put that out in the universe, then things are going to come back. And it's not like the secret where you don't you can't just put it out there and be like, "I'm happy today," and something good is going to happen to me tomorrow. 
unless you're actually putting, like you said, the emotions and the actions in place in order for this stuff to happen and manifest. Man, we're yeah, going well, way I mean, down the emotional rabbit hole tonight, but this is fun. No, it's it's certainly the case, and I do think that you know there are uh, th- there's the effect of natural law and you know the the true law of attraction on an individual, and then there is the uh, effect of natural law and the law of attraction on a society at large. Right? Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that you know that that an individual can't make their life uh, you know uh, inordinately better than it is right now by utilizing these skills. You know, by by learning things and. And, and applying them in their life for positive effect, you know. I think that that's, that's an excellent way to go about it, you know. Again, not just simply wishing to be happy. But I guess what really interests me, uh, and, and it's so funny that you brought up the 100th monkey syndrome, or, is that these principles can be applied to the society at large. And right now they are actively being applied to the society at large uh, for for negative purposes, right? For they negative were actually, reasons at the moment, what, right? Or, or if you look at or if you look at the way that he would describe it, they're being removed from society. Yes, yes. I mean, that's another excellent way of putting it. The the, the principles are certainly being removed from society. Correct. The knowledge of these principles, which you know is again the nature of occulted information. So these people. Uh, you know, at the at the top of this hierarchical power-driven structure, you know, of which society has many, from the educational system to the banking system to the governmental system to uh, religious systems, uh, you know, that that kind of cooperate and uh, and uh, and ally themselves with different factions uh, during different periods in history. But the problem remains the same, in that these same people at the top of these given structures always seek to remove this knowledge from society. Uh, you know, and 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 make people really malleable to uh, uh, to you know again the Hegelian dialectic, uh, the ability to to cull people into uh, into a sense of complacency and then make labor out of them, quite literally. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that is the pervading ethic right now in the world at large. You mentioned it earlier. It's it's very easy to be a to be a, a subject of empire. Mm-hmm. Uh, so even people who are listening to this broadcast right now. Uh, maybe aren't necessarily taking uh, a lot of the steps that are necessary to uh, to affect their knowledge into action. Uh, and until that happens, then we will be exactly where we are right now. So long as there are, you know, just enough stockbrokers and and uh, McDonald's drive-through employees and uh, you know all these other kind of banal corporatist uh, structures that we have right now, be they jobs or otherwise. Uh, until we start to manifest that differently, then we can't expect a better outcome or a different outcome. And I think it's really telling that um, you know, even speaking with Lee Camp and and talking to him, he's he even he gets it. But I don't know if it's if it's something that they can get at a at a larger level that they can't get. Um, I guess they haven't done enough research or tried to look into it enough, where they say that. Um, He's like, well, we have to shift our we have to shift shift our being the way that we the way that we do things the way that we do. So I guess that the the philosophy is there, but we just haven't put into motion the ideas and things that we've learned in order to apply those to create a different society. So what I'm saying is that people understand that there's a problem. They just don't know how to get people to pay attention to the problem. Again, then under, once again, pay attention to the problem. Understand that there, a solution needs to be made, and then implement the solution. 
Well, yeah, and I really think that despite, you know, the fact that, you know, someone like yourself or myself or Lee Camp will address the problem in very different ways and have very different solutions to the problem, uh, you know, there are, there are certain commonalities that can be enacted uh, fairly quickly uh, that, you know, that we can all kind of, kind of uh, you know, uh, actively work on to make our world a better place. That being said, you know, I think that we will come to a point where uh, some of these hierarchical power-driven structures, uh, some people have a great deal of affinity towards them, despite the fact that they use them uh, either directly or indirectly as, again, a, a human labor. Uh, so when we, when we talk about, you know, aligning ourselves with, you know, some, some sort of revolutionary communists or, uh, you know, egalitarian socialists or, uh, you know, uh, what's, uh, Noam Chomsky, uh, he's an anarcho, a, an anarcho syndicalist, syndicalist, excuse me, yeah, you mm-hmm. we, you know, ultimately we will butt heads on a lot of different things, uh, especially with regard to, uh, tearing down these hierarchical power driven structures that are ultimately the root of of almost all of mankind's issues, at least the the grandiose issues of our day and age. And that's um, and that's what we talked about offline. And I don't really want to get into a lot of what we talked about offline, but because that was kind of personal, I wanted to get his opinion on a couple of things because I think that I think that you know we can always learn from our fellow human beings, like what what their perspectives are, what they believe, and 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 how we can kind of incorporate that in and come up with one solution because we did mention that towards the end of the interview and you guys will get to hear it is that we come from two polar opposite ends of the spectrum for the most part even though um even though Chomsky is you know he doesn't like he he's a believer in anarchy but not in the same sense that I am I guess it's a it's a very different um perspective but yet we we all know that there are similar problems that we do need to we do need to ch- to tackle like you said and we're probably going to use different methodologies, you know, where I would say that we would move to something that would be more of a more of a tightly knit smaller culture with a with a centricity around um indiv- individuals and then having a group collective, not the collective, but a group collective working together to create a society from the smaller standpoint. Some people might still want to use the weapon of the state in order to accomplish certain things. So I guess the way that we're going to sum all this stuff up is is that we have to learn the occulted information and learn it to an ability to be able to apply that and understand what our true beings, what the individual human beings really do want and what our core existence should be. Should our core existence be a slave to an external master or should it be that we are sovereign, that we are a monarchical sovereign citizen. Well, yeah, and I really think that the the key point in, in all of this is what we started with, an understanding of natural law and an understanding of sovereignty and realizing that the, the solution that you espoused, or uh, Jake, you know, this sort of local, uh, more individualistic kind of solution to this problem uh is is inherently voluntary right or at mm-hmm. least i assume it to be voluntary yep, in the that's sense correct. That, ab- absolutely and and once we realize that that whatever kind of of uh of agreement you enter into you know getting back to this to the non-aggression principle 
the idea that all interaction should be voluntary, and if it's not voluntary, uh, then it's not something that you should be involved with. That's that should be the natural state of things in on this earth. That should be the natural state of of humanity. You know, to to tend towards peace and voluntary interaction. And until we get to a point where we can eliminate all non-voluntary interaction from planet Earth, then there will be people who try to make natural resources of other people. Uh, so that's what that's what we need to get to. Absolutely, man. And um, once again, that's going to do it for this uh, section of the pre-recorded um, Somewhat Live, uh, We Are Not Cattle Radio. Uh, tune in on Thursday. If I have internet, there will be a show. So thank you to Josh Wiley of the Journalistic Revolution. Monday, Wednesday, Sunday? Monday, Friday? Uh, Sunday, Wednesday, Friday from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on LibertyMovementRadio.com, and all of our other content is available at JournalisticRevolution.com. Which, which Josh redid the site, and it looked snazzy. Yeah, and he also wrote a very good stuff. article, and he won't plug himself, so I'm going to go ahead and plug it for you. Get the real facts on Executive Order uh, 11110. It was not about Kennedy against the banksters. It was just um, business as usual, as they say. So anyway, thanks everybody for listening. Remember, get a friend, get informed, and get involved. And coming up is the interview I did with Lee Camp. Thanks again to Josh Wiley of the Journalistic Resolution. And thanks again to all of you out there spreading the message of truth, liberty, and individual sovereignty. Take care, everybody. Recording. All right, so uh, with me is Lee Camp of LeeCamp.net, and um, once again, activist, writer, um, soon-to-be TV star, maybe. We don't, but uh, the producer of the Moment of Clarity, um, one of my favorite um, video snippets. So thanks for the time, man. What's been going on with you and your world uh, over the last couple of weeks? You've been kind of blowing up. No, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, I've been doing all the same things that I've been doing for a while now. Moment of Clarity web series. Uh, we, we, we made it into kind of a longer uh, web show that, that had interviews with, uh, you know, some of my heroes, Chris Hedges and Peter Joseph from the Zeitgeist Movement and uh, Roseanne Barr and some cool people have come on and, and uh, we've been doing that. Um, so same other stuff, though, performing live a lot, touring a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, got to perform in a lot of cool cities everywhere from uh, Missouri to L.A. to Can- uh, Canada to U.K. So I've been getting around. What's the, what's the most fun thing to do in Missouri? <laughs> get get out. <laughs> no, I, I you know here's the thing though is I because I'm doing my shows in these places I get to meet the coolest people in the world. So uh, you know I, I, yes I was in Missouri but I was hanging out with the uh, the the awesome people growing their own food in their gardens and shit like that. So. Oh man, those evil terrorists, those thought criminals. I know they're food food terrorists is what they are. And and honestly we're not far from from them being designated food terrorists, considering that if you now currently report on, like, cruelty to animals in factory farming and stuff, they, they call that a terrorist act uh, under the law. It's crazy. Well, factory farming has you know, gotten away with a lot of bullshit for a really long time. I mean, they, they exempt themselves from the regulations and then come after the, the smaller guys and shut them down. And welcome to yeah. big government and big corporations working together, as always. Yeah, yeah, they they have massive pull, you know, just uh, agribusiness is just billions of dollars, and and uh, there there aren't that there aren't that many small farmers left anymore, and the ones that are are quite struggling because the uh, the big agribusiness guys uh, just de- destroy everything in their path. So. 
Well, the one thing I, I really like about what you do is that um, you create, number one, you create memes, which makes it easier for people to start a dialogue. But I think one of the big things is that um, is at least starting the conversation in, first, the, the entire populace has to be aware that they're having issues, that there are major issues that have been covered up for a very long time. Um, one of the things that you and Abby Martin went over that I thought was very um, that I thought was very telling is the amount of money it would take to stop world hunger, and I think that most people would agree that hey, that sounds like a good idea. I would love to stop world hunger, but then they run into this paradigm of well, as long as you get it from somewhere else and it's not coming from my pocket. But I think that that's the one thing that we're going to have to change as a, a society and a, just a a mental construct is to say that. We're going to have to do something about this. This has to change. Yeah, I mean, for, for one thing, in a lot of ways, it is coming from your pocket because when people are hungry and need to go to government assistance and, and are struggling and, and, you know, often people who are starving and homeless end up committing crimes because it's the only way they can live. So this stuff does come back to bite you. I think people think, oh, well, it, it's, it's happening over there and I don't have to deal with it. But it impacts your life. And the worse it gets here in the U.S., the worse it's going to be for people. And so it does, it does come out of your pocket. It does affect your life. But, yeah, the, the numbers are staggering. I mean, they're mind-blowing. The, the U.N. estimates that it would take – these are the numbers you're talking about. It would take $30 billion a year to get rid of world hunger. Now, to put that in perspective, the Koch brothers themselves have $50 billion. Um, it fluctuates depending on stock market, but around $50 billion. The, uh, but, but, but do you think they're using that money to, uh, to, to feed the world? Uh, no, they, they, they wouldn't give a tip of a turd to, to help <laughs> feed people. They'd rather invest in uh, corporations gutting people's lives. Um, and another number that came out recently is if you added, you added up all the money held in U.S. millionaire households, so above a million dollars, it's $50 trillion, mm -hmm. um, $11 trillion of that in off offshore tax havens. But it's just an insane amount of money that we can't even uh, comprehend. And that's not even including the people that are part of the Federal Reserve System that actually get to print the money for themselves. And then they are exempt from all these regulations, and like you said, tax havens and so on and so forth. And then they use divide and conquer strategy to do like what you said. The Koch brothers don't use that money to go around and be charitable. They use it for their own little mechanized strategy in order to make more money. They use it for division. They use it for favors. They use it for anything that they can do to gain leverage. And speaking of divide and conquer, you know, they're a good example because they have at various times funded both the Democrats and the Republicans. They, they, they more heavily fund the Republicans, but they, you know, $100,000 of Koch brother money created the, uh, I think it's called the DCCC, which is where Bill Clinton got his start. Um, and, and so these guys are funding both sides because creating a, a corporatocracy, you know, a, a, a power elite on both parties, um, means that whether one party or the other is in control, they're still in control. The Koch brothers are still in control. Um, so that, that's the first thing. And the other thing is uh, gridlock. Gridlock is perfect for corporations. It's perfect for the Koch brothers. If things are jammed up and there's no change, then the corporate pillaging can continue. So. Absolutely. And getting back to what you said earlier, it's just like uh, Barack Obama, the main donors from Barack Obama this year were – were both, you know, were basically Wall Street funding. So, I mean, they were funding him, they were funding Mitt Romney. So, either way, their guy wins. And it's never, it's, it's never, or at least it hasn't been, 
since probably the 1950s, it hasn't been about the people. And the people keep believing in the system and believing that, well, if we just do this, if we just vote for this guy, but they don't realize that it's a rigged casino to begin with. And what's interesting is, and I'm not claiming to, that I was smart enough to do this, but there are a few people who are smart enough to do this. If you put together the, if you, if you connect the dots, you can see before these people become president why they're allowed to become president. Um, you know, with Barack Obama, for example, I think a lot of people, and, and I was one of them for a little while, um, thought there would be at least more change under him because uh, he was kind of a, a, no, a, you know, a no-name at, at the beginning. He came out mm -hmm. of the blue. He, he got into Chicago Senate uh, and was only there for a few years and then running for president. And so people thought, okay, this guy's kind of outside the system. He hasn't been there forever. But if you really connect the dots, he was uh, he he had the backing of Robert Rubin, the former Treasury Secretary, the guy who uh, forced through the destruction of Glass Steagall that allowed the banks to gamble with your money to an extent larger than we'd ever seen before. Um, he had the backing of of those type of people, even in his Senate days, his Chicago Senate days. So yeah. he, he got that backing early on, and that's when Wall Street knew, okay, we can get behind this guy. And without that. You don't see these guys. You don't see anyone getting very far in the presidential uh, race unless they have that backing. Exactly, and then you look at the two people that they're trying to tout for 2016, and you have Hillary Clinton and you had Chris Christie. Like up until a couple of months ago, where all of that stuff came out about him. But like you said, you don't get to be in that level of politics until you get the blessing from the corporatocracy and the ruling elite. You just don't. It's, it's just not the way that our society functions. So what is the remedy for things like this? Is it just you know, getting people to quote-unquote wake up, and I hate that term, but is it getting people to pay attention to uh, real ideolo ideological changes as far as how we view our world, our worldview, or does it rest in the in the arms of the the balloteers and the people going and actually running for congress and things like that well it's it's all of the above i mean it needs to be an all of the above change but in terms of politicians the number one thing that needs to change is money in the system if you could get money out of the system then you you couldn't carpet bomb a city with endless ads that believe people think they don't believe the ads everyone thinks they're smart enough to only believe what they think they believe and not be influenced is bullshit. We're all influenced. It influenced. If you're watching a lot of ads, if you're even taking them in the side of your eyes, then it is impacting you. It may, you know, there's greater and lesser extents. But w w until you get money out of the system, you you're never going to, to change much about these politicians. Now, outside of that, it is about uh, waking up in the sense of becoming informed, and that is happening. It's happening slowly, but it is happening and it's because people are getting their news from a lot of outside sources, um, and, and that is it's creating a debate. Even if people are running around trying to say, oh, Snowden's a traitor. No, he's not a traitor. No, he, he did the right thing. Oh, it, even if it is a lot of chaos and a lot of debate, there, that debate is there. Whereas I think 50 years ago, you would have seen the newspaper say Snowden's a traitor, and that would have been the end of the debate. Absolutely, or even back in the even back in the early early '90s and late '80s, it was it was super controlled, you know, to the point where people were believing that um, that that Reagan was, or now it's now it's completely flipped on its head. That now you have like um, hindsight politics where Reagan was this great guy, and it was like no, 
if you really look at his policies, it was it was completely opposite from what you believe it is. Like you said, it's been parroted through the media so much, and maybe from mostly from Fox News, and they understand that their listeners have a 45-second attention span, and they can just you know drill them every 45 seconds, it, and they'll figure it, it out. But actually, the, the moment I remember just, I don't know, it really hit me like a slap in the face how much history is, is doctored and changed and, and altered. It wasn't Fox News. It was Anderson Cooper hosting the, uh, the presidential debate. I don't remember which year, a while ago. And they're in the Reagan Library, and he's sitting out there for the debate, and he goes, he's at the podium, and he goes, now I have here Ronald Reagan's diary. I don't want to touch it. I'm afraid to touch it. As if, and then he asked some question about Reagan and everything, as if Reagan was Jesus. <laughs> and this is, this is a supposedly unbiased journalist from CNN, not Fox News, and you're like, how... This guy, Reagan, left office under a cloud of scandal. How can you, right. like, it, it blew my mind, the level of, like, oh, remember our old Messiah, Reagan? You're like, what yeah. are you talking about? And, and, but I think people are, despite all that shit, I think people are beginning to, to open their eyes a little bit. I think, uh, you know, uh, with not, it's not to say, like, Syria is some kind of walk in the park, but some kind of wonderland, but the fact that we didn't bomb Syria, it's the first time, and we may still push for it again, but oh, it's sure. the first time... Or Iran, or Iran whoever's... Or Iran, but it's the first time I've ever seen uh, our war machine, our media and military war machine get in high gear. I mean, we're talking high gear, and start pushing right. a bombing that they then had to back down from, because if enough of America was able to find out at least enough of the truth to be like, wait, why do we need to bomb the shit out of these people? And, uh, and it's the first time I've ever seen that. And I think it's because people are not just getting their, their truth, their reality from two channels. And, that, and that's a good way to put it because, you know, truth is, truth is concrete and truth is what's happening currently. And most people would mix words with they say that is reality. It is not. Truth will always be the truth. It is what's happening currently. It's not about the past or the future. It's what it's about currently. Reality is where we run into the blurry lines like we were talking about before, where people will project a reality through this gaslighting technique that's used on Fox and all these other stations where they would come out. And this happened to the American public for a long time in the American psyche where they would just say weapons of mass destruction, weapons of mass destruction. It would be everywhere. They would just gaslight the public using military warfare tactics onto the public, and they would just go around parrot it. And like you said, now they still try that where they, they created a false debate with Snowden and said, well, is he a traitor or is he a whistleblower? Is he a leaker? Is he this? So they tried to create the false debate, but like you said, the American people came through and said, no, 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 that's not the debate. The debate is what the fuck are you guys doing? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it still amazes uh, me the people who are like, who are like, oh, he's a traitor. Oh, he failed out of college. He failed out of military. He's a loser. He's a loser. I'm like, I'm like someone telling you someone on fire. You see it's on fire, and you turn back and go, hold on, didn't you fail out of college? I'm not falling for this. Doesn't yeah. matter. It's like it, 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 you, you're absolutely ignoring the largest surveillance infrastructure ever created in mankind's history, taking away a right we've had for you know hundreds of years, and and that's the debate. 
the, uh, uh, right, mind you, that that most of our founding fathers actually got and took up arms over and started killing people over because that's they started having soldiers cornered in their homes and they're like, I don't have any privacy, so I'm gonna go and take arms and go meet my friends at the corner and we're gonna start shooting some red coats. Right, right. That's, I, that's the other thing I've always tried to say is where it says in the Constitution that you don't have to cor- uh, uh, have have a quarter soldiers in your home. I don't think it was just that they didn't want the guy sleeping in bed with them. I think it was no. also they didn't want to be watched 24-7, which... Hey, you got a stamp uh, on this thing? No, no, no crown stamp. All right. It was, maybe it was about a little bit more than just, I don't want to have to change the sheets on the bed for the soldier. Right. But, uh, you know, it's a, it's a really good point. And like you were saying before, history gets tainted. And um, what we do have to what we do have to understand is that when we're when we're going to bring somebody truth, you have to bring it to them number one in a context that they can understand in in terminology, the grammar, logic, and rhetoric has to be there for you to be able to to basically break them out of their mold and make them defend their argument with facts because what has happened when you try to get somebody to defend their argument with facts and i don't know if you've run into this before but i've tried unlocking many people's minds and they'll get into the emotional downfall that is their ideology or like we were talking about before their perceived reality and once you challenge their reality they have an emotional flash to it and they're going to defend it and they're going to defend it with emotion and not facts it's like well i don't i don't have any hide really You've never, you know, once had your browser go haywire and end up on a porno site? They could use that against you. It's just like, come on, yeah, man. How do you understand the fundamental right Yeah, here? there's there's two things with the NSA surveillance that even if you're one of those people, or, oh, I don't have anything to hide, there's two things you should consider. One is that you could love Obama. You could consider Obama as the best president we've ever had. And maybe you even love the next people that might be president. Maybe you love Hillary Clinton. You love fucking, I don't know, Jeb Bush, whoever the fuck. Even if you love all those people and you think they're wonderful and you don't mind them having control of this massive surveillance infrastructure, what happens when a dictator does get into power? What happens when someone you think is horrible does get into power? All of a sudden, it is a dictator's toolkit that is at their disposal. That's what, they're, that's what you're giving them right now. So that's point one. And point two is exactly what you just said. When people say they have nothing to hide, this stuff, everything you've ever done can be used in, from the past when you're under suspicion. So let's say right now you say you have nothing to hide. Next week you go to a protest. All of a sudden you're under suspicion. Now they can go back 10 years and find where you skipped out on something on a tax form and use that against you or whatever. No, that's very, very true. And, you know, one of the things that I think is very good is the is the movement that's happening tomorrow with Reddit and a couple of other, um, like the ACLU and a couple of other big name, um, big name websites and that they're, going to use it as a day to unify and protest against the NSA surveillance. Everybody's, you know, putting these banners up on their website and and showing people that we do have unity because what happens in the society for some reason is that we when we look for truth and we start speaking out, you feel like you're isolated on an island every once in a while. I can't even imagine what it was like for you getting up and doing comedy about this kind of stuff. Because it must have been like, oh, here we go. Let's see if they buy it. Let's see what's going on. But um, when you go out and try to explain to people what's going on, or when you do these things, you you feel like you're isolated. But now with big, you know, bigger conglomerates coming out and showing that this is this is the wrong way to approach it, 
that we need to unify and just get behind it. And I don't know if legislation is the answer encryption. I, for one, don't want any part of the government having anything to do with me. I don't care if a private corporation gets it and then they have to file motions through a court, not some rubber stamp FISA court, but a real court in order to get stuff on me. So, I mean, what do you say about all this? I mean, I just ranted for a little bit, but this is something that really pisses me off. It really does. Yeah, as well it should. Um, yeah, I, you know, there's a lot of steps that need to be taken. Uh, legislation's one of them. Um, you know, various services that are coming out that, uh, that are kind of the anti-Facebook and that they don't sell all your data, they don't give everything uh, to people. Uh, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of steps that need to be taken. So moving on, what do you see in the future for the United States? Um, are you seeing an awakening from, from all branches? Are you seeing an awakening from like all people, individuals, all ages, races, shapes, sizes, all that stuff? Or is it, or is it um, mostly the youth that's starting to figure out how the system really scammed them with the college education, the underwater basket weaving degree that they got? Now they can't get a get a job at like quick trip. Yeah, it's it's going to keep getting worse in in multiple ways. I mean, in terms of the environmental suicide we're creating, the uh the the economic suicide, the the in continued debt enslavement that you just mentioned, all these things uh, are going to get worse and and the uh you know, the, the re, part of the reason that these degrees, these college degrees aren't helping people is because there's, not, there's going to continue to be fewer and fewer jobs. Um, you know, robots and computers are literally taking away all the jobs, even the more complex ones. I mean, it's, we're five years from most waiters, most service jobs being done by robots, I'm sure. You know, a lot of the jobs um, in the, the Amazon warehouses where you used to run around and pick up products to ship, they're, they're now done by robots. So all those shit's going to disappear. All those jobs are going to disappear. Now, here's the thing. That should be a good thing for mankind if we behaved like rational beings and allowed the, the decrease in work to uh, be shared, that bounty, the fact that work can be done by machines to be shared amongst everybody, you know, you, like you'd get paid as much as you got paid for five hours, you'd get paid for four hours because a robot does the rest of the work. But instead, all of that savings, all the time savings, the, the wealth savings, it's all going to the top, and people need to wake up. They need to, they, they, they need to become aware of these things and become aware of the fact that we have to live in a different way. We have to live in a way where our, we, we do consider our environment. We do consider what's sustainable. We do consider the fact that, that nowadays in order to, you know, in order to fucking buy a table, it's been, you know, cut down in God knows where, somewhere in Canada, shipped to Japan to be or China to be put together, then shipped back to the U.S., and then you buy it here in the U.S., and then it falls apart in six months. And the amount you spend on shipping it around the world and the amount you spend on having a table that only lasts six months, we can't, we can't sustain that way. It's impossible. So, I mean, this really does bring us kind of full circle in what we were talking about earlier in, in just a shift, of, a shift of psyche or a shift of, of worldview. I think that, um, once again, one of the things that your memes do so well is it gets people the facts very quickly. And I think that you know it's going to take all of our efforts to get people to engage in, in these issues because, like you said, world hunger is an issue. You know, 25,000 people a day die of starvation. 
That's absolutely stupid. There should be no reason that 25,000 people a day on this planet die from, from lack of food and lack of nourishment, bad water, all these other things. Environmental issues are all huge. So I think that as soon as we can get the American public, and it really does hinge on us, and I hate to say that because looking around sometimes it's kind of, it's kind of a dreary, you know, it's a really, really dreary town out there. But it really will hinge on us to, to band together and understand that these are real-world issues and that we have to acknowledge that there's a problem first come up with an idea of how to solve the problem, and then implement it. It's not very difficult, but yet for some reason people don't want to take the step to acknowledge that there are issues. So how do we get them to acknowledge, other than the things that you're doing, other than the things that I'm doing, what's the best way to get people to acknowledge that I, there are I issues? I think people deep down know there are issues. I mean, I think... I think of, course, even, of course, they won't admit right, it to themselves. I think even if I'm you were to ask, a Wall Street trader, whether he thought the current system could last forever, I think, you know, and I've talked to a couple that were willing to admit that it's not sustainable. They, they just want to get as much money as they can in, before the building burns down. So I, I think that most people know that. The problem is that I think it's, it's twofold or maybe more than that, but one of the big things is that they're trying to deal with their day-to-day. -day. They're trying to make enough money to eat tomorrow. So, you know, protesting, whether it be online or in the streets or whatever, is, is not something that they're uh, able or willing to take the time to do. I think that that's part of it. And I think there's a big amount of learned helplessness. I think that you know, every time there's a agree. protest, they're told by the media that it's useless and it's a disaster and look how silly these people are marching out here and they, they don't know what they're talking about and, and so every protest, and that, that's why Occupy scared the fuck out of them, is because it looked like a protest movement that hadn't learned its helplessness, hadn't learned its place. Um, and and right. so I think that those type of things need to continue in order to make people realize that, that protest can work. And it, and it does work in a lot of things. You know, you, uh, you look at things like knocking down, and this, this speaks to uh, what's going to happen tomorrow, uh, February 11th, but you look at the things like knocking down the SOPA and PIPA bills that were going to infringe on the Internet freedom, um, that was defeated by, by protesters, by people uh, realizing that we're not helpless. We can make a change. Now, does that mean corporations then give up? Do they then go, oh, looks like they, looks like they want uh -oh. their free Internet. Let's move on. They go to the <laughs> next way to do it, you know, and their next way this time is the Trans-Pacific Partnership, and that very well could be defeated as long as people keep waking up to, uh, to what it is. But. So, I mean, if we're sitting here at the precipice of, of human consciousness, if you will, because we are on a very enlightening path, which is, I mean, the Internet gives us the ability to see other people's worldview, other people's point of view, other people's take on stuff. And like you said earlier, it gives you the ability to, within an hour, learn about um, everything about Barack Obama, their past, all of these different tools that we can use in order to make informed decisions and, and make intellectual changes in our life with with using intellectual self-defense like the Trivium Method and understanding how that works and applying that to day-to-day -day life. Now, um, before we let you go, what are, what are the biggest things that you think are coming down the pipe as far as being, being active and being aware of? Obviously, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, have we seen that die off yet, or is that just kind of in the, uh, in the icebox and they're ready to roll that thing no, out whenever? No, it certainly has not died. Um, they're, they're having trouble getting fast-tracked through, which would make it a lot easier for them to get it through. So 
that, you know, it's possible that that could die, but FastTrack is not the end of it. And they have spent over six years, uh, you know, 600 corporate lobbyists have spent over six years making sure this thing happens. So they're not going to give up on it easily. Um, and, and for those who, who don't know, Trans-Pacific Partnership is the largest trade deal ever seen. And, uh, you know, NAFTA lost 2.5 million jobs alone, and this is considered NAFTA on steroids. It, it, uh, it, Alan Grayson has seen the bill and says it, uh, it cedes our, our sovereignty as a country to corporations. So that's what we're dealing mm -hmm. with. Um, yeah, that's a massive one. Another massive one is the, the continued fight for Internet freedom or uh, net neutrality, as, as it's called. They're, they're going to keep trying to find ways to subvert that. Um, for a couple of reasons. One is because the freedom of the Internet is making people aware of all these things, and that that scares the shit out of the power elite. So they, they would like to find ways to decrease that awareness, which getting rid of net neutrality would be one of them. Um, a, another sure. reason that corporations don't want Internet freedom is because a corporation like Walmart could benefit hugely if their website was 100 times faster than your mom-and-pop shop's website. So... That's sure. another reason that they will keep fighting to uh, to take away internet freedom. Well, I mean, we we do face an uphill battle, man, and it's um I, I guess um I, I don't know what would your what would your political ideology be? Would you be considered? I, I hate labels, but I mean, for 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 the sake of argument, you would you would obviously be a little bit left of center, <laughs> I would assume. Yeah, I don't, I don't subscribe to an ism, but I I'm I'm definitely far left, I, I think that, you know, people who continue to fully support Obama are, are lefties that don't want to dig deeper. They don't want to keep looking at the reality. Um, you know, I, I would have loved if he had been a true left president, but instead he's not, you know, he's not even Republican light. I, I've called him Republican light for a long time, but he's, it's just a, it's a corporate leadership. I mean, it, He's, he's, he's greater prosecution of whistleblowers than ever before, more drone bombings, obviously, more taking away of American rights. I mean, the fact that he's willing to talk about assassinating, this is in the news today, possibly assassinating an American citizen without a trial or charges for pre-crime reasons, you know, because he might do something down the road, is, is far, that's going far beyond what, what Bush did in terms of that type of thing. Um, but so yeah, I, all I'm saying is, is I don't, I don't, I try not to subscribe to an ism, but I, I am far left. I'm actually on the Green Party shadow cabinet. They have a commissioner of comedic arts, um, but that you know, I, I try to look at each politician for their own merits, and and if someone in the Green Party is someone that I can get behind, then I will. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think people have to have to just read up on things and learn about things and decide case by case whether it, it fits with their worldview. Um, something else I wanted to mention in terms of what's coming down the pike is, uh, and I don't know whether this will be big, maybe it will, maybe it won't, but uh, the, the worldwide wave of action is, is what some people are calling the next step for Occupy and, and uh, the people who became activated by Occupy. And it's not an occupation because occupation was a tactic and tactics need to change. It's uh, basically all kinds of action over a three-month span starting April 4th going to July 4th in terms of various ways of protesting uh, corporations and, and, and a variety of topics, but everything from, you know, hacktivism to boycotting certain companies to, uh, to calling your congresspeople to actually marching in the streets. 
and uh, they, you know, they have websites and videos and everything. World, I think it's uh, it's like waveofaction.org or whatever. But if people Google Worldwide Wave of Action, they'll find it. And uh, it, it, who knows? You, you know, it, it might not be big, but nothing's no, nothing actually makes a difference until it does. So. Absolutely, and and nothing makes a difference. Like, and you know, it's. There, there is no silver bullet to to defeating the beast that we do and we all face, which is you know state-run corporatocracy for the most part. And so there's nothing that we can do, and there's not one march that we can all have, and then it'll all go away. Just like you said, there's not one legislation piece that we can pass. And I think that people are starting to really become aware that that um, that freedom and um, and uh, and liberty are those things that you're going to have to fight for, and you're not going to have to. You can't stop. Because we basically let off the gas from like the late 80s all through the 90s, and everybody's just like, ah, we're the good guys. We don't do anything bad. Nothing will ever happen here. And then you turn around like, oh, shit, my government's spying on me. We're, we're launching wars for no reason. What the hell is going on? And so now I think that that's the state that we're in, and I guess I would consider myself, well, philosophically, I'm an anarcho-capitalist, so complete opposite end of the spectrum of you, but we have tons in common, people, and that's why I want people to understand that whether you're on one end of the spectrum or the other, it doesn't really matter. You have human needs, and we have human intuition that needs to take place here. And then we can infight about what kind of political system or whatever we want to have later, but we're facing right. a lot of I mean, of that's tough the shit. thing is, is because they try to define us in red team and blue team America, they, yeah. people mm -hmm. haven't stopped to think about the fact how, how much we agree on so many of these things. And that's why these parties don't seem to make any sense anymore. That's why you can see, like, a Ron Paul running in the Republican Party when, you know, half the time I agree with Ron Paul and I never agree with anybody else in the Republican Party. So, it do, like, it doesn't make any sense. You know, you have Green Party candidates that aren't allowed in the Democratic anything, you know. even weren't even allowed to come in and right, compete they, in the debate. And they, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jill Stein there, was like, hand, was She's like, oh, yeah, like, a five foot nothing. nothing. She's handcuffed to a chair underneath the debates and released after they're over, as if she was going to go running in and spread truth in front of the audience. It was horrible. It, it, I mean, it, it, so they, these parties don't mean anything. They only mean the thing they, that these two parties mean is simply corporate rule. That is, they, they agree on that 90% of the time, every, every step of the way, and that is what they have in common, and that is why they're the two parties that are allowed on that debate stage. That's right. Which which flavor of cyanide do you guys want? Here we go. We got red and we got blue. Right. Well, anything else you want to plug before you go, man? I kept you a little over, but uh, thank you so much for the time. Uh, no anything worries. else you got? Uh, yeah, I mean, people who go to LeeCamp.net or Facebook.com slash LeeCampComedian, um, they will find all my stuff. I'm, I'm updating daily, and I have a podcast. I have a web series. It's all free up there. I have uh, comedy albums and a book out. And, uh, yeah, I'm working on that TV show. We should have details for you um, in uh, late February, probably, so late this month. Um, yeah, but uh, I cool. really appreciate it, and, and uh, keep doing what you're doing. Keep, keep spreading truth. That's what it's all about, man, and I'll, um, I'll have you back up in a month. So once, the, uh, once you're free to chat about the, the television show, I'm looking forward to that, man. And um, always a pleasure having you on. Once again, Lee Camp of LeeCamp.net. Oh, Take care, buddy.